you want a little clip that makes everybody laugh and feel good. You know what I mean? Instead, it's like, ooh. But I'm really not funny. No, no. And we shouldn't have a podcast. What? <laughs> okay. Oh, Captain, my Captain. Oh, yeah, and we're not using uh, headphones either. You can use headphones. No, I mean, I'm okay. I'm good. Okay. Well, oh, okay. I'm going to just turn this down a smidgen. Hey, hey, heckity, hey. <laughs> it's okay. your girl, Harper. It's Jonathan. And uh, we're here rolling solo tonight. Well, there's two of us. Well, yeah. Okay, rolling duo tonight. Rolling guestless. Yeah, guestless. Back to our roots. I don't know if you've been with us for this whole journey, but I think our first... Was it? Well, our first episode was solo. Yeah. And our second episode was mostly solo, but it featured a call from my dad. Yeah. And then... Oh, I guess the third one was with Gio. But then we went through a period where we were just the two of us for a while. Right. When we talked about what came in that period, White Fang, mm-hmm. uh, Mystery Date, Midnight oh, yeah. Clear. Oh my gosh. So that was like a whole period of time where it was just you and me. So we're getting back to it. Yeah. What are you eating over there? Zucchini bread. Interesting. Yeah. It smells It smells a little gingery. Mm, maybe. But My mom made it. Nice. Shouts out to your mom. Mm-hmm. Woo. Am I chewing too loudly? Huh? I don't know. I can't hear it. So we're off headphones today. We're not sitting at a table. I'm on a couch lying down. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jonathan's on a chair with his legs extended on an ottoman. Sure. We're really relaxed today. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, we're talking about waking life. Yeah. So this is our third Richard Linklater movie. Yeah. Um and it's a it's a really interesting one. I Jonathan might not believe me because I was kind of falling asleep towards the end mm-hmm. and in the middle. Uh but I did really enjoy it. I thought it was an interesting movie. It's different, I think, than a lot of the movies we've seen so far, mostly because it's animated. Yeah, it's like rotoscope or whatever. Yes, it is rotoscoped. So it's like filmed, filmed IRL, and then like digitally colored in all afterwards. Yeah. So um, Bob Sebastian was the um, uh, I think creative director of this movie. I think that that was his title. Um, I can check, but he actually developed the software that they used he called it rotoshop mm-hmm. which i like because uh, it's like photoshop but rotoscoping at the same time so yeah so it was called rotoshop and he developed the software so they took they filmed all of this first and then rotoscoped it to turn it into an animated feature right um and the effect is really interesting so uh, the other thing that uh 
makes it look different than most movies is that it's I think twelve frames per minute instead of twenty four per second. Yeah, sorry, twelve frames per second instead of twenty four. Um, so it makes it feel a little uh, um, I don't know how to say like, like a kind of like a classic animation, you know. Like those old, like Steamboat Willie, mm-hmm. probably was a similar frame rate, um, not as many frames per second, and it gives all of the movement a really interesting effect. Yeah. But at the same time, it feels really realistic because of all of because of the fact that it was filmed first. Mm-hmm. So there are all of these really minute human movements that you might not capture if you were just animating it without having filmed it first. Um, yeah, so that was it's a really gorgeous film, and the colors are really interesting too. Some parts are just in black and white, mm-hmm. um, and then other parts are in color. And the way that they use the color, it's kind of like splotchy almost. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in a really effective way that that lends an additional layer of movement. So not only is there that kind of that realistic human movement that I had mentioned from having filmed it, but then also there's this additional layer of movement that's caused by the way that the uh, these like splotches essentially of color are placed. Yeah. So... For instance, like, you know, the, it, they would cut from, like, one shot to another and the the colors used to, to you know, color the people in would be completely, would be pretty different from one shot to another, which I think is kind of to intimate, like, the way that light would hit a person. But it's it still looks really different and it's really interesting and you have to kind of process it. Yeah, also on. the background is, like, moving constantly. Yes, that's true. Yeah. So that's interesting. Yeah, and I think that... Um, and it's because, I guess, because it's like they're coloring each each frame, but they're not doing it in solid colors. They're doing it, like, in splotches, like you said. Mm-hmm. Which means that if they're not, like, doing it perfectly even, then the background is constantly moving. So that's what happens in the movie. The background is, like just always moving everything is always moving yeah but i think that lends itself really well to the plot of the movie because the the whole movie is well at the beginning it's like his child it's a really brief scene so basically this this follows a character who is unnamed and at the very beginning there's a short scene from his childhood where he's playing um, that like fortune teller. He's playing with a fortune teller mm-hmm. with a girl who I immediately identified as Lorelai Linklater mm-hmm. because you know we know her, we love her from boyhood, and um, I guess this would have been probably a little, just a little bit before they started shooting Boyhood. Oh wow! Or no, it probably would have been about the same time because I remember when they were little kids in Boyhood. That like one of the first things that made me go, "Oh my gosh, these people are my age." was because she was pretending to be Britney Spears doing Oops, I Did It Again, or Hit Me Baby One More Time. Yeah. So I guess this would have been about that time, because this is um, 2000 when they would have filmed this. Mm -hmm. Or no, it would have been 1999 when they filmed this, because it took 15 months to animate it. Mm. And it was released in 2001. Mm -hmm. 
So it would have been 1999 when they were filming this. So Lorelai Linklater would have been about the same age or a little younger than she was when they first started shooting Boyhood. And yeah, her bangs, those bangs she has are so identifiable. Also her cute little face. Um, yeah, so they're playing with the fortune teller and then she opens it up and it says something kind of cryptic like dreams, dream is destiny. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that really set the tone for the rest of the movie. Yeah. And it made you realize, it made me realize, oh, okay, this is going to be kind of a weird one and got me in the right headspace, the right mood. Right. Um, because then what happens is that the boy character grows up and he's Mitch from Dazed and Confused. And it's all part of the larger Richard Linklater cinematic universe. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the actor's name is Wiley Wiggins. And he starts streaming and oh, no, he's he gets hit by a car. Yeah, he gets, but that's after he. Yeah, he arrives at the he arrives at the state bus train whatever yeah, station. Yeah, um, and, and then he gets he, in like a boat car. Yeah, he's like, oh, I was waiting for a taxi, and then this this dude just pulls up, and it's two guys in a in a car that's also a boat, basically. Yeah, and so the guy driving the car, I'm not sure who that is, but the other passenger in the car was Richard Linklater. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Who was also very identifiable to me. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, his voice and just his face, his hair too. He and Lorelai, the Linklaters, just have really identified like iconic hair. <laughs> you know, his mm. his hair is a little bowl cut y, like mm-hmm. a long bo- a bowl cut. Yeah, yeah. A bowl cut that grew out a little bit. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Um. So yeah. So I knew it was him right away, and. Yeah, so he goes on a ride in this boat car, and then uh, Richard Linklater's character decides where he's going to get out, and then when he gets out of the car, he gets hit yeah. by another car. He's yeah. like he's looking at something on the ground, and then he gets hit by a car. Yeah. Um, and so after that, the entire the rest of the movie is a sequence of dreams that he's having, and he keeps thinking that he's waking up from the dream but he's never actually waking up he's just continuously in another dream every time yeah and he's having like conversations with different people basically mm-hmm. it's like a, his teacher and all this stuff yeah so that's pretty much the movie <laughs> yeah that is pretty much the movie um oh also i want to say that i did not take any notes while we were watching the movie this time because here's what usually happens is that i take six pages of notes and i feel like i get really bogged down by the all the specific notes that i took Uh uh-huh um so this time i thought i would let you jonathan take all the notes sure and uh that i would not take any notes and i'd just fly by the seat of my pants also while we were watching this movie for the first half hour i was working out on my on my stationary bike Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. I rode five miles. Uh, then I got off and I was really sweaty and I sat down and watched the rest of the movie. Yeah. Yep. Um, well, there's a part where he floats near the beginning. He floats a few times. He does, yeah. Um, 
And so I guess that's how he establishes that he's dreaming. Yeah. And, and there's this one really interesting scene where he goes to a building that looks like a church. Mm-hmm. And he goes into it and there are these people there where who he talks to about lucid dreaming. Yeah. So this guy explains to him like how you can how you can lucid dream. Mhm. And um the one of the guys that he's talking to has a pin on his shirt and it keeps changing. Yeah, it's like uh, a smiley face and then a dragon and mm-hmm. then all this different stuff. Yeah. And also It's on his jacket, but yeah. 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 Did I say that? I think you said shirt. Oh, okay. We'll 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 see what the tape says. Yeah. We'll play it back, not right now, but later and then you'll find that I was right or I was wrong. It's so fun. The magic of recording. I don't know. I could cut all this out. The magic of editing. Um, this is weird to not have a guest. I think also we're we're like reclining. Yeah. And that's weird too. That's true. Makes it more unstructured. I could sit up a little bit. No. Okay. No. Um, yeah. Well, because the big thing that this makes is, us this weird. This is Hawkeyes After Dark. You yeah, know it I mean? is Hawkeyes After Dark. Yeah. Yeah. Let's get down. Let's talk about Ethan Hawke. Kaka. Last call with Carson Daly. Yeah, last call with Ethan Hawke. Um, what makes this weird, I think, is because I'm used to the the format that we've kind of come to have, where we ask, or we introduce our guests, and then we ask them what their relationship is with Ethan Hawke. And um, you know, we can't do that right now. True. We could check in though. Jonathan, how are you feeling about Ethan Hawk right now? Yeah. Pretty okay. <laughs> how are you feeling about Ethan Hawk? Uh I'm feeling good. I think he's really great. Nice. I have uh I don't know if it's like a Stockholm syndrome. Hey. <laughs> that's a that's a wink wink because he had a movie called Stockholm that came out last year about the Stockholm syndrome situation the the original one um well the the, where it got its name from i don't know i didn't see it i'm looking forward to it though um but yeah no i also talk about this podcast with people a lot in my workplace sure i have people i have some really great co-workers i'm gonna say who whenever i'm like with them and then they introduce me to another person in the office. They say, do you like Ethan Hawke? This is Harper. She has an Ethan Hawke podcast. Mm-hmm. And I'm really appreciative to um, Priscilla and Rosalie who consistently do that. That's sweet. So thanks, guys, if you're listening. Um, yeah. So I'm feeling good about Ethan Hawke, though. I... Especially this this latest period. I mean, he doesn't do a lot in this movie. But I think he's good in this. In mm-hmm. the scene that we have of him. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, and I'm going to say I wasn't wild about Hamlet overall, but I think he was fine in it. Yeah. And I liked Before Sunrise, which was several weeks ago now, but... Yeah. I liked it, and I've liked the subsequent movies, so... We're in a, I, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good about the Hawkman. 
That's good. Yeah. Anyway, let's hop back into it. Um, Waking life. Yeah. So uh, there's a the after he floats, he's talking to this one dude, who's like ranting about like you know commercialism and society and like choosing between the puppet on the left and the puppet on the right. And I'm just like, okay. And then he just lights himself on fire. Oh, yeah. That was a lot. And then there are two other people. There are two guys that are, like, walking on the street. And they see him. And uh, he, when he lights himself on fire, they watch for a couple seconds. And then just shrug and move on. Yeah. Yeah. This was very um, existentialism heavy, this movie. Yeah. And near the beginning, there's, like, a professor giving a lecture on existentialism. And he's like, yeah. actually, you know... I don't see existentialism about being, about giving up. It's actually about living life to the fullest. I don't know why I've gotten into... Mr. Burns. Mr. Burns. Yeah, that's pretty good. That's a good one. Thanks. I think that's one of your best impressions I've ever heard. Good God. (laughs) (laughs) That hurts. No, why? It was good. I'm complimenting you. Sometimes I work on these impressions for a while. (laughs) And then I just do one by accident. You're like, oh, I like that one. (laughs) Um, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's fine. It's fine. Clearly, I just need to be in substance impersonator. But yeah, there were definitely, I think, at least one reference to Sartre. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a few. There, there was a lot. There was a lot in this movie. Is like, it's like such and such said. You know, there's a lot of that. Yeah, I think there was at least one. It was interesting. They had some real people playing themselves in this movie, and at least one of them was a professor from UT Austin, mm. who was like a philosophy professor talking about philosophy. You know, um, Matthew McConaughey is is uh, a film professor now. He is in in Texas. Yeah, he is. I think it might be UT Austin. Yeah. Um, There's like an Onion article that was like, um, you know new adjunct professor forced to apply for food stamps or something. <laughs> <laughs> That's really good. Yeah. Yeah. What's he been doing lately? The McConaughey. Have we seen him in anything? Oh. Other than a oh, Lincoln He did commercial? that movie with Anne Hathaway that everyone oh, said was Serenity. really bad. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. I feel like I gotta watch that. Yeah. And too. we'll watch that and add Astra double feature. Yeah. 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 Cool. Fun. Let's do it. Um, not this weekend though, because you know what I'm doing this weekend. Going out of town. I am going out of town. I'm going to Vegas. Viva! I'm gonna go see Christina Aguilera, The Experience for Xtina. Um, I'm pretty excited. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The only thing that would be more exciting was if Ethan Hawke went up on stage and did a duet with her. Wouldn't that be wild? Ethan Hawke and Christina Aguilera. Can you imagine? Why would that happen, though? Why not? Because... <laughs> <laughs> no, of course it would never happen, but it would be really weird and funny if it did happen. Yeah, I guess that's true. Um, yeah. Which song would you do? Beautiful? Uh, dirty? <laughs> Can you imagine Ethan Hawke walking out on stage in, like, leather pants going, Too dirty to clean my act up. Oh man, that's I need it now. I need it. I need the Christina Aguilera, Ethan Hawke, dirty duet. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Do you? 
I really do. I really, really do. Do you? I do. Okay. Yeah. Um, it's like um, uh, you're beautiful in like every single way. You know? You know? It's like. It's really you know. You know is the Ethan Hawke phrase. It's not like it's you know. Mm-hmm. What are the other lyrics of that song? Uh, words can't get me down. You know, uh, words can't bring you down. Ooh. You're Ethan and I'm Christina. You're so don't you bring me down today. In in uh, every single way. No matter what you do. Okay, so we're going to listen back to this later. Uh-huh. And we're going to see if that impression that I just did was good. Uh-huh. And if it is, you leave it in. And if it's bad, you cut it out. <laughs> okay. Uh, I'm leaving it in. You do an impression on the show, we leave it in. That's the rules. Oh, man. Them's the rules. Oh, man. All right. I'll leave in my bad singing. I don't care. Okay. Okay. Um... So, yeah, let's. Ethan Hawke only has one scene in this movie. Let's just talk about that. Yeah. It is. A, it's fun, I think, because it's kind of like watching before one and a half. You know how there was Lion King one, two, and then one and a half? This yeah. is like before one and a half because mm-hmm. it's this dream scene where jesse and celine are in bed together presumably sometime after before sunrise Mm -hmm. but before before sunset but if i remember correctly from before sunset they don't see each other in that time so it's not actually like one and a half because one and a half is just lion king one and a half is just lion king one from pumbaa and timon's perspective Mm -hmm. so i guess that was a bad analogy to make but uh yeah this is a a kind of fictional before scene. it's like fan fiction it's like before fan fiction you know Mm -hmm. uh and i enjoyed it it was just like a little snippet of jesse and celine neurotic dialogue yeah they're talking about what happens when you die or whatever yeah are they talking they're talking about shared consciousness oh yeah yeah yeah. well they have they talk about a few things they talk about a few things but i think the big thing is about shared consciousness because they talk a lot about the specific um, uh, Jesse is talking about this study that they did where they gave people a crossword puzzle and they gave them first a new crossword puzzle that no one had done before. Yeah. And then they gave them a crossword puzzle from the day before. Yeah. And they posited that because of like the shared human consciousness that they did markedly better on the the puzzle that had come out the day before because people had already done it and it just was so jesse and celine mm-hmm. i liked it yeah um and i don't know that i have a most ethan hawk line from this scene because the whole thing was so <laughs> ethan hawk you know because he is i mean you know he's put so much of himself into jesse yeah. uh, as the co-writer on all three of those movies and i would guess that he had something to do with the writing of this scene yeah probably but um i did have one 
Julie Delpy line that just felt so Julie Delpy. I can't remember what it was exactly, but she just used a lot of syllables. Uh-huh. Uh to to explain something like uh beautiful, intricate, da, da, you know, she used a lot of syllables and it felt really Julie Delpy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I the quote I wrote down was I heard that Tim Leary said before he died. No, yeah. just the opening of that sentence just felt so there that's my pick mm-hmm. um and then i think around this part we have the uh alex jones cameo yeah that was wild yeah why don't you talk a little bit about that because i don't really know too much about him okay well so there's a scene in this movie where Alex Jones, and I didn't realize it was him, but he's driving around in this car and he has two, he has like megaphones strapped to the top of his car and he's ranting about just like random stuff, mm-hmm. like just, just random kind of things. Yeah. So he basically, if you, if you're not familiar with Alex Jones' oeuvre, um, he's like a, a major conspiracy theorist, like right wing nut. He has this idea that like about gay frogs or something. He has this idea that, you know, like Hillary Clinton is a lizard person. Um, he's a Sandy Hook truther. Um, he Ugh. says like it was a false flag operation or whatever. Um, and he... Yeah, he's just, he's like all around just a bad dude. Um, So, yeah. Yeah, so he's he's bad. And he recently got booted from Twitter and Facebook and YouTube and all these other sites for hate speech and stuff. Um, Which, you know, if you can get booted from Twitter, it takes a bit of work to do that. Mm -hmm. Uh, They usually only boot, you know. I'm not gonna get into it. Twitter's accessible is what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, and Jack Dorsey doesn't seem interested in taking any responsibility. Um. So anyway, I was reading this IndieWire. Uh, oh, shout out IndieWire PMC. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so this is from 2018. Um, and it's Richard Linklater talking about Alex Jones. Uh, and he says. At the time, Alex Jones was just a uh, public access TV host. And he, I guess he auditioned for the role in the movie. Wow. And so uh, Richard Linklater said, uh, he wasn't so virulent. He just had all that energy. I just thought he was kind of funny. Um. He said, you know, I haven't talked to him in years, Linklater said. I talked to him a bit during the Bush-Cheney years. He always positioned himself as an ante. So when you're ante, he's your bedfellow. Uh, he said that it was odd that Jones is, quote, taken seriously on a national level. I would have never thought I'd see the day when the President of the United States knew who he was, much less going on his show. It's crazy, it's insane, but it fits our times. So that's what he had to say with about Alex Jones. Mm-hmm. 
So, so interesting. I, I think at the time. Um, yeah, it was just like lo- casting local talent. Yeah, yeah. He was just some some random dude at the time. Mm-hmm. What um, that the just the driving around with the like loudspeakers on top of the car uh, spouting, you know, political or philosophical ideas like uh, recalls for me just because mm-hmm. I also watched this within the last several months. I think I watched this like three months ago was Nashville. Um, which I know you haven't seen, but you should add it to your list. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a big aspect of that is someone who's kind of like a, I don't think he's like a third party, but he's like a, a like a minor candidate who has a lot of kind of uh, very, for the time, like out there idea, ideals. Mm-hmm. And so he has this van this uh, campaign van that's just driving around Nashville. So it keeps like driving by during all of these scenes mm-hmm. because it takes the, the movie takes place all around Nashville. And so this van is always driving by and it has this message from the candidate that's uh, playing throughout mm-hmm. the movie. And that's what it reminded me of. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So this is, this is another, uh, this one's from vice. He goes into it a little bit more here. Um, I think maybe this is what they were quoting the first time. Oh, an indie wire. Yeah, this is from yeah from Vice. Uh, I got to know him a bit because he was in Waking Life and Scanner, so he was in two of the movies, I guess. Scanner. Scanner Darkly. Huh. Uh, doing some weird version of himself in both cases. He's not really an actor, so I haven't really talked to him since the Obama years. I guess there's a part of me that's surprised because he never seemed like that to me. I can't say he's not a good manipulator. I can't say I've really known him these years. Really bizarre. And then the question was, when did you first meet him? And he said, on Waking Life, he came in, had seen my movie Slacker. We started talking about a part, so I worked up a little part for him. He was more fun when it was the Bush era, put it like that. When he was anti-that, I was like, yeah. And then I was like, oh, you're just anti-everybody. But then he's pro-somebody for the first time, which is like, big choice, Alex. We'll see how it shakes out long term. I haven't spoken to him in years, though. Yeah, so that's kind of the main main thing that he had to say about it. Mm-hmm. So interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess he was in Scanner Darkly? I don't know. I haven't seen that movie. Yeah, I haven't either. It looks like it has Keanu and Woody Harrelson and Robert Downey Jr. and Winona Ryder. Is it the same thing where it's like the rotoscope? rotoscope yeah, yeah, it is. Okay. Yeah, so Alex Jones plays the street prophet, which is kind of a similar role. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, someone yeah. who's just kind of spouting out ideas. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, that's so weird. That's crazy. That's yeah. so crazy. What a weird, weird combination of people. Really, yeah. Yeah. Oh, and there's uh, um, a monkey in this movie. There is a monkey in this movie. He's giving a lecture. He is. He's like a. He's like a. He's a professor, so he's giving yeah. a lecture in a class, and he's playing video, and he's reading off of a sheet of paper. But then, when he finishes finishes reading the paper, he eats it. Yeah. Yeah, so there's just a lot of weird stuff happening. There's a lot of weird stuff. I mean, it's all dream stuff. Yeah. And then there's a, a 
Kurt Cobain scene? Oh, that, that was what oh, yeah. they were watching. That, the video. Yeah, they were watching in the class. They were watching a documentary about uh, what was it about? It was like culture and um, I don't know, the progression of art or something. Did I imagine that? I don't know. I don't know. And but there were it was uh, it was Kurt Cobain and there was someone else in that too that was identifiable. Hmm, maybe that, that I can't remember. Yeah, and then I think the next scene is the shootout at the bar. Ooh, yeah. That was intense. So that scene was um, interesting to me because the bar reminded me a lot of the bar in uh, Kicking and Screaming, which is a movie I really like from 1995, uh-huh. I think. Um, and uh, yeah, so in that movie, they're in, they're in college and they're always hanging out at like a local college bar and it's a lot like that. Right. The same setup as that. Um, yeah, it just looked it looked very similar. I don't remember where they were in kicking and screaming. I think it might have been more. I don't know. I'm gonna look it up. Be quick. Yeah, where does this movie take, even take place? It's Richard Linklater. It's in Texas. It's in Texas, and uh, it was um, Alex Jones is from Austin. Well, oh, I didn't know that. I think, or he was. I'm. Uh, shit, hold on. Yes, Alex Jones is from Austin. Well, he's from Dallas, but he he had a show was in Austin, and that's why um, he found him. Mm-hmm. Kicking and Screaming, nineteen ninety five. Not to be confused with Kicking and Screaming with Will Ferrell from two thousand and five. Different movie. Wow. Yeah, so Kicking and Screaming from nineteen ninety five was a Noah Baumbach movie. That. Um, doesn't really seem to be specifically anywhere. <laughs> but anyway, this bar reminded me of that bar. I will post on the Instagram some screenshots of both so that you guys can know that I'm not crazy. But yeah, so there's this guy that comes into the bar. or Well, he's sitting at the bar and he's talking to the bartender. And he is telling him about something that had happened to him where he was at... I think he was, in, he was uh, working at a gas station outside of Vegas or something mm-hmm. and this guy who he thought was on drugs uh was come came at him so then he went back inside and then he grabbed the gun that they keep under the the desk or whatever the counter mm-hmm. the counter at inside and so then he he shot the guy in the chest but then he kept moving he turned around and he ran away but he was still going even though he got shot in the chest and then uh he says that's why i always carry this with me and then he pulls out a gun and he says i haven't shot it in so long i don't even know if it works and so then the bartender says why don't you try it and so then he shoots at the bartender then the bartender shoots at him and they both are like in pools of blood and it was kind of like uh that snl sketch oh yeah uh, what you say mm. you know mm-hmm. um a little bit just because he the bartender gets shot and then he doesn't go down right away he just pulls out his own gun and then shoots him back yeah um yeah yeah, yeah that's crazy well he gets shot in the chest and then the bartender shoots the other guy in the head so oh yeah takes him down right away mm-hmm. the bartender doesn't go down right away 
crazy stuff. Um, and then the next scene is the one where they're at that place with the where the guys talking about lucid dreaming. Oh, okay, in the church. Yeah. Kind of place. Yeah. Yeah. And he tells them about how you can like. How you can tell that you're dreaming. asleep. How you can tell, yeah. Yeah. So one of the ways he's you like, can he's tell. He's like, you can do anything in lucid dream except you can't turn off. Or is it turn on? Or yeah, turn, turn on? off the lights. Yeah. Um, but the way that you can tell, one of the ways you can tell is that, uh, other than the lights thing, is that the times on clocks don't really look right. Mm-hmm. So. Um, and this is something that's important for the main character because, you know, he keeps waking up. He feels like he's waking up over and over again, but he's not really. So then he looks over to his clock and it just kind of looks like nonsense. You know, it's, it doesn't show a time. Yeah. And that's an indic. And so now he knows that that's an indicator that he's still asleep. Yeah. The thing this made me think a lot about was Inception. Oh yeah. This is like these the spinning Inception top. and Waking Life are like completely different movies. Uh-huh. But they both share this thing of one it's a dream within a dream cuz he keeps waking up. Mm-hmm. And he keeps trying to get to the next level basically until he can actually wake up. Yeah. Uh which is sort of similar to Inception. And then the thing the same thing with being able to tell whether or not you're dreaming. It's like a physical totem. What they call it totems in, in Inception, but some sort of physical indicator. And in this movie, it's the light switches. Mm-hmm. And as he's leaving the, the conversation with this guy, he's like flicking the light switch uh, and it's not working. Yeah. Um. So he's still dreaming. And the same thing with Inception. Like you have the, they, everyone has their own sort of totems, most famously the spinning top. Which is uh, Leonardo DiCaprio's character's totem, um, and he spins that to determine, and if it comes to a stop, that means that it's real life. But if it doesn't stop, it means it's a dream. Mm-hmm. And I don't know about you, but I think in this case with Waking Life, like every time I just really wished for him that he had finally woken up. Mm-hmm. You know, just as a viewer, right? And I think it's really impressive that. Richard Linklater made that decision as a filmmaker to have him continue to be in the stream for the duration of the movie. Yeah, he never wakes up. Yeah. 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 Is the next one the one where they're talking about Lorca or is that way later? Um, Who's Lorca? Federico Garcia Lorca, the Spanish poet. <laughs> Maybe. Is he talking to the girl? No. Oh, oh but it's before he's talking next. to the girl. Yeah. Because he's talking to a guy on a bridge. He's walking on a bridge with the guy. Mm-hmm. And so they're talking about the poet, Federico Garcia Lorca. Yeah. Um, about... I think he had a poem. I think oh, it's something right. about... he it's something about dreaming or about existence or yeah, they're like existentialism. On the Brooklyn. Oh, wait, no. I guess... No, it wasn't. To... It wasn't. It was in somewhere in Texas. Oh, but it was a dream. It could have been anywhere. It could have been anywhere, but I think it was probably still grounded in his reality, though. Okay, because it really looked like the Brooklyn Bridge. Yeah, it was or a bridge. one of those bridges. I don't know. I don't know. My New York yeah. landmarks. Well, he and this guy were walking on a bridge, and they were talking about Lorca and some poem that he had that was about either dreaming or existentialism. Or bridges. Or bridges. <laughs> no, not was the poem was not about bridges. Um, 
Jeff Bridges? No. But yeah, I I'm a Lorca fan. You know me, I'm a poetry I'm a poetry bitch. Uh-huh. Cool. Um yeah, I like Lorca and I think the reason why Lorca became known to me was because of the 2009 film Little Ashes. Mm-hmm. Uh which featured Robert Pattinson mm-hmm. as Salvador Dali. Cool. And it was about his um relationship with Lorca. Which was complicated. Was it sexual? I think they were attracted to each other, but they did not... They they could not actually have sex. Mm-hmm. Because uh, I don't... Well, the way it was shown in the movie was that Dolly could not handle having sex with a man. But Lorca was... Uh, definitely attracted to men and later had relationships with men but his um his friendship with dolly was i mean he had a romantic relationship with him that didn't become sexual Mm. it's how it they tried but it didn't happen Mm -hmm. in the movie it was a lot i was uh 14 when this movie came out Mm -hmm. 14 15 and i specifically sought it out because i knew it was only going to be in theaters for like one week and I was like, I gotta see Robert Pattinson play Dolly. This is something I need in my life. I can't not have this. Um, after I've seen it, it would have been, I guess maybe it was 2010 when it finally hit theaters. Because it would have been post-Twilight and that's why I would have been so invested. Mm-hmm. But his accent was bonkers. Oh, gosh. Yeah, because he was doing like uh, Spanish by way of American by way of English, you know. Mm-hmm. It was really weird. But anyway. Um, so, yeah. So, Lorca is... But apart from that movie... I mean, the movie is very good. The movie is good and interesting if you want to learn about Lorca and his relationship with Dolly. But also, separately, Lorca's poetry is very beautiful. Um, I'm sure that it's more beautiful in Spanish than it is in English. But I still I still like it in the translated English. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was cool that it was brought up here. There were a lot of... There were a lot of philosophers and thinkers that were... Uh, brought up in this movie and i thought that it was cool yeah. that Lorca was one of them yeah we had like one translated Lorca um book of like collected poems in my high school library which was exciting for me i i did i think i read my way through most of our our poetry section in the library because i'm a big old nerd also the lgbt section because i'm a big old bisexual nerd True. True. And he talks to a girl and yeah. he thinks it's the same. And she says that she's the same girl that he saw at the beginning, but she doesn't look the same. Right. And he's like, are you sure? And she's like, yeah. And he's like, all right. Yeah. And then she's like, oh, I don't want to like be um, like just have these meaningless. I want to like connect, you know? Yeah. Classic link later. People wanting to connect on an yeah. emotional level. Yeah, so that's what they do. <laughs> but he's like, oh, I know you're a dream. And she's like, oh, okay. And he's like, can you... Yeah, he's like, he asks her, what is it like to be a character in a dream? Yeah. Because I just don't know what it's like. And then she, and then she just kind of diverts. Mm-hmm. He's found the glitch. Yeah. 
Because, because yeah, then she, because he asked her that, and then she asked him like about his like life or whatever. Mm-hmm. She doesn't even answer. And then he looks at his watch, and it's all glitchy. Mm-hmm. And then he runs into Rick again. Oh, he does. Oh, and oh, wait. Rick is playing uh, foo- uh, mm, No, I was going to say ping pong, then I was going to say foosball, but I pinball. mean uh, pinball. Thank you. Which is a callback, I believe, yeah. to Before Sunrise. Yeah, or he just loves pinball. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I liked this scene a lot. And I was kind of surprised because I... In the first scene in the movie, I kind of thought that Rich Link- Richard Linklater felt like a director that was doing a cameo in his own movie, you mm-hmm, know? Mm-hmm. But in this scene, I kind of got into it. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was talking about... He says... He's like, yeah, man, you know, I I discovered dreaming and I figured out how to lucid dream and like all this stuff. He, You know, he starts talking about lucid dreaming too, like the guy from earlier in the movie. And he talks about his experience with it and he also talks about how he got stuck in dreaming before which is the situation that our main character is in and um and then the main character i think asked like how did you get out and he was like you just do basically but i i thought his performance in the scene was pretty good Mm mm-hmm he felt he felt kind of real to me, which is interesting because nothing about this movie is real. Yeah. But he he felt grounded in this non-real reality, you know. Yeah. He says th- it's easy you just wake up. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And then he wakes up, or so you think. And he's like going for a walk. He like gets to his car. Mm-hmm. He grabs the door handle, and then he just misses and starts floating away and that's yeah. it like fades to black yeah um but there there was another scene too because he ran he, yeah so he's kind of running into some of the same people he had already seen but they're not always the same people like the girl who says that she saw him but it doesn't look like her mm-hmm. or R- R- richard link later because he sees him the second time. You see him in the very beginning. You see mm-hmm. him the second time. And the second time he sees him, he's like, nah, man, I've never seen you before. And then they just start having a conversation. And the same thing happens earlier when he goes to a convenience store. And he sees a guy outside who's like, walks past him. And he like gives this kind of crazy philosophical mini speech and walks away. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that scene felt, I mean... I mean, I think it's just the setting that made me think of it, but like clerks, mm-hmm, you know, because mm-hmm. he walks in and then the the attendant at the at the convenience mart starts talking or, or liquor store or whatever it is, yeah. starts talking it's to him like he knows him. And- yeah. Well, he asked him like, hey, man, aren't you didn't you weren't you driving around in like a, a, a oh, right. boat car? Yeah, because like, he looks boat the same car. as a what driver. What are you talking about? He's like, oh, yeah, it's like a car. There's also a boat. He's like, nah, man. And then he tells him that he saw that guy mm-hmm. come out. And the liquor store guy says, like, oh, yeah, he was in here earlier. And he said, he said, he, he told him one of the things that he was saying, which was, like, this crazy... <laughs> 
So he, he goes on some rant, basically. He tells him what the rant is that the guy was going on. And he's like, right, and what did you say to that? He's like, well, I told him, if you're going to microwave a burrito, poke some holes in the plastic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was good. Yeah. It did kind of feel like Clerks. I don't know. I love that movie. Mm-hmm. I know that's like such a... Um, my... <sighs> I feel like the fact that I love Clerks kind of shows that I've been informed by the patriarchal film, you know, existence before me, if that makes sense. Like, right now we're living in, like, such a beautiful time of, like, women making film and dictating, or not even dictating, but, like, just, like, you have options Mm -hmm. of movies that are available to you which with different perspectives which is incredible but you know historically it's only been like white men creating movies and i feel like my my like classical film education of like almost entirely white men is showing Mm -hmm. when i say things like i love clerks and that's why we're doing a podcast about about ethan hawk the white white man yeah ethan hawk and richard like later yeah but whatever what can you do <laughs> so yeah um, that's uh kind of the whole thing that is pretty much it i mean it's really cool this and i would i would um, honestly recommend this movie a lot it's it's an interesting movie it's it's different yeah it's a different it's a different kind of movie and i think it's just really beautiful to look at mostly mm-hmm. it's it's i it's I just, disorienting it is disorienting and it's a little it's a little like constantly moving, a little seasick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I like it a lot visually. Right. And there are a lot of things that I do like about this movie, specifically, you know, the people that come from Richard Linklater's cinematic universe, Ethan right. Hawke, Julie Delpy, Wiley Wiggins. You know, I love seeing Wiley Wiggins because Days and Confused is one of my favorite movies. Mm-hmm. Um and I, his performance in this movie is pretty similar to his performance in Dazed and Confused. So I think if you're a fan of Dazed and Confused, then you would like this movie, mm-hmm. at least for that. Um, but also more so because it's a Richard Linklater movie also. And, you know, it's just good. It's good and it's beautiful and it's Wiley Wiggins. I yeah, I was kind of expecting even more Richard Linklater cinematic universe figures. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, perhaps the McConaughey, perhaps Jeremy London. Uh, I think Jeremy London would have been really interesting in this movie somewhere. I don't know where, but he would have been. I don't forget who that is. Well, I knew him originally from Seventh Heaven. Mm-hmm. But then, because I didn't watch Days and Confused until I was a teenager because of the content of the movie, but, um, and I watched Seventh Heaven when I was a kid, but then later when I watched Days and Confused, I was like, oh, it's that guy from Seventh Heaven. Um, and there's twins. It's Jeremy and Jason? Oh, two J-name twins, London. Uh, and in Seventh Heaven, they played, they played twins, and one of them was like, it was bad, you know? you know 
you didn't want him to be around the the sweet the sweet young children in mm-hmm. seventh heaven mm-hmm. um but yeah anyway so yeah i think he could have made an interesting addition to this movie but i you know that's that's really the only thing i thought was maybe missing was just more more classic Linklater people and i hope that in the next 20 years as richard Linklater does merrily the Sondheim merrily we go along mm-hmm. um that he does inc- he does remember to incorporate or try to incorporate people from his cinematic history yeah i'm sure he will i mean specifically ethan hawk you know i want to see an ethan hawk cameo in merrily um but i mean you know i'm excited for ben platt and beanie feldstein i think that'll be cool and i think it'll be interesting to see him play with like new young people Mm -hmm. because he hasn't done that in ever in a long time you know he hasn't had like fresh fresh young people in his movies in a long time yeah because his i think his i mean his movies are mostly about like recently have been about older people like bernie or where'd you go bernadette or boy in boyhood was over the course of so many years that it was like people that grew up with him you know yeah so it'll be interesting to see him with fresh faces Mm -hmm. but also i still want to see Ethan hawk in this movie right right. fingers crossed Mm. yeah um yeah so um i pulled up some reviews of this movie sure uh waking life specifically this movie that we watched I just said a whole bunch of movies, so I wanted to be clear that I was talking about Waking Life again. This is the highest that the one, the only Roger Ebert has ever rated an Ethan Hawke film. Any film we've ever seen, four out of four stars Crazy for Waking Life. And what was so interesting about his review was that it came out October 19th, 2001. So he really frames it in a post, like a j- just post 9-11. Mm-hmm. Like it just happened. And so he says, waking life could not come at a better time. Opening in these sad and fearful days after September 11th, in it celebrates a series of articulate, intelligent characters who seek out the meaning of their existence and do not have the answers. Mm-hmm. Which I think is a pretty uh, powerful way to look at this movie. And I I didn't think about it because I didn't think about when this movie came out. Yeah. You know, we're just watching it in 2019, but just after, after 9-11 would be a completely different experience of watching any movie mm-hmm. than watching it right now. Um, but yeah, throughout his review... He is so, like, over the moon ecstatic about this movie. The, uh, he says the animation is curiously realistic. And he, you know, applauds Wiley Wiggins and uh, just the entire movie overall, the, the mood of the movie. And then ultimately he says, I've seen Waking Life three times now. He's watched it three times now that he's writing, uh, writing this review. And he says, I want to see it again, not to master it or even to remember it better, but simply to experience all of these ideas, all of this passion, this very act of trying to figure things out. Mm-hmm. So 
he's just loves this movie. Okay. Yeah. Um. Yeah, but I mean, I think generally it was like very positively received. I just thought that, that particularly that Roger Ebert review was interesting because of the context and also because he's never given any other movie we've seen before four stars yeah 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 i don't know i liked the i thought visually it was interesting and i thought like the performances were good Mm -hmm. but i could do without as much like philosophical kind of filler as there was because there was a lot of it and they would jump from like one philosophical rant to another that's true very kind of quick like in like it would be like three or four in a row and it kind of eased up a little bit once we got to you know the shootout at the Uh uh-huh at the bar and then the monkey with the projector and um that crazy dude in prison where he's talking about like killing everyone like yeah. that the oh yeah we didn't even talk about that that was yeah he's like this wild. red dude his face is red and he's talking about killing people um and then the part where he's like talking about like flicking the light switches like it starts to get less kind of overly philosophical as it gets there and it starts to just get a little bit more um just him like figuring out how to get out of this dream yeah and so he or or just more kind of like absurdist and that that i liked more i was like oh that's kind of interesting or like him like where he has an actual driving motivator which is to get out of this dream but the beginning part was like a bit of a slog of just watching him like talk to these people or watching him listen to these people talk to him about whatever they're talking about so yeah Mm -hmm. mixed feelings on it that's what i would say yeah um i have a fun activity for us are you interested oh gosh okay let's hear it okay so it's a quiz that's called which uh, existentialist philosopher are you okay okay so i'm gonna ask you and then we'll we'll see what which one you are um if you won a million dollars what would you do with it a donate to charity B, invest in ton a ton of different businesses. C, create your own business. D, indulge yourself with cool stuff and food. Or E, finance one of your hobbies. Um, I'm gonna say. <sighs> okay, the first thing I would do if I won a million dollars is that I would pay off my student loans. Mm. So I'm going to say that that's E. Finance one of your hobbies. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to say say that that not having debt is one of my hobbies. I would agree. Okay. Where are you on a Friday night? A, partying and meeting new people. B, hanging out with some close friends. C, doing something fun like rock climbing or going to a concert. D, sleeping since you had a long day at work or school. Or E, something creative. Well, right now, I would say we're doing E, something creative. That's true. Uh, oh, spoilers. It's a Friday right now when we're recording. Yeah. Ooh, so crazy. Late night tales. Uh, what are some of your hobbies? A, helping other people. B, it's not a hobby. almost everything. 
See? I don't have time. I'm too busy. Not a hobby. D, traveling and having new experiences. Or E, different creative pursuits. I'm going to say E again. (laughs) Because the other ones were not, A through C were not hobbies. Mm-hmm. I just want you to know that I didn't like go through this before. So this is the first time I'm seeing these questions too. Um, I was really prepared for this. Uh, next question. What's one of your biggest flaws? A, I'm easily overwhelmed and sometimes bite off a bit more than I can chew. B, I'm not very good at paying attention. C, I slack off too much. D, I'm overprotective. Or E, I'm impatient and hot-headed at times and can be a bit abrasive. What was C? I slack off too much. Well, let's go with that. Okay. Well, well no, what do you think, my of um, those? Too late, think? I already clicked it, can't go back. Uh, what are some of your talents? How many questions are there? Just nine. Okay. We're halfway through. Um, A, I'm a good listener. B, I can adapt to new situations. C, I'm determined to get what I want. D, I'm good with people. Or E, I'm very creative. What was B? I can adapt to new situations. What was C? I'm determined to get what I want. (laughs) What was A? I'm a good listener. (laughs) (laughs) Clearly not that. (laughs) What was D? I'm good with people. Uh, Let's say B. You're, you can adapt to new situations? Sure. You're not very creative? All right, fine. E. Oh, I'm not trying to tell you what's e. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> what's one of your pet peeves? A, when people refuse my help. B, when people act like they know about something when they haven't tried it. C, when people underestimate me. D, when things stay the same for too long. Or E, when I have too many things on my plate. I'm going to say B. Okay. If given the choice to travel anywhere in the world, where would you go? A, a third world country to enlist in the Peace Corps. B, a road trip with friends. C, a big busy city like New York. D, somewhere exotic with really good restaurants. Or E, somewhere with lots of culture like Chicago or Paris. (laughs) I'm going to say New York. Alrighty. Question eight. We're almost there. Where would you like to be in five years? A. In a position where I can help lots of people. B. In a job where I can interact with people like a salesman or lawyer. C. The CEO of large business. D. Traveling the world. Or E. Somewhere I can express myself without judgment. Mm. What was A? In a position where I can help lots of people. Sure, let's go with that one. Okay. And the final question, what do you look for in a companion? Oh. Someone who relies on me. That's A. Sorry. B, someone fearless who will take risks with me. C, someone who follows me but gives me space when I need it. D, someone flexible. E, someone who has a calming presence. Can you go through A through C again? (laughs) A, someone who relies on me. B, someone fearless who takes risks with me. Who will take risks with me. C, someone who follows me but gives me space when I need it. And what was D? Someone flexible. (laughs) I'm going to go with that one. (laughs) Amazing. 
Ooh, you're Nietzsche. Nice. Why am I Nietzsche? Uh, it just says a German philosopher, cultural cr- critic, and poet who is the youngest ever to hold oh, the so chair. Oh, so this is biography. No, but yeah. Uh, okay. Um, takes on too much responsibility. Needs to find balance between interference and assistance. Overprotective. Likes to be needed. Artistic. Musically talented. Suppresses creativity because of willingness to sacrifice. Does not fully appreciate his own talents. So, love yourself. <laughs> okay, cool. Cool. Um, yeah, do you have something to share? Sure, should I do a hawk fact? That's a dying hawk. Mm, that's sad. All right, well, I decided <laughs> to look into uh, what happens if you have a dream about a hawk. Mmm um and you know that's a good one i'm gonna i just listeners i want you to know that jonathan sounded uh really down about this fact that he had found like just about the premise of the fact like i didn't even know what it was i i never know until we're recording that's some insider knowledge for you i never know about the fact until we're actually recording and earlier i asked oh did you find a fact about whether or not hawks dream and then he said no and then he just sounded so down about whatever this fact was that he had found but i think that's a really cool category to look into thank you you're welcome um so not strictly a fact because these are interpretations that's true but still which i don't necessarily personally buy into the dream analysis and stuff but you know it's each their own i mean there i think there are some some things that are pretty uh frequent among people that have can be i don't know how i want to say this but there are some dreams that are so common among many people yeah that their meaning can kind of be perceived from the uh the the concerns of those people having those dreams like when uh like dreams about uh, chewing gum or your teeth falling out like those kinds of dreams are like you have you're preoccupied with something like that's pretty like that's real Mm -hmm. i feel you know there are some there are some major dream themes that i think are kind of undeniable but anyway carry on sure um yeah, so according to sleepculture.com, uh, they said hawks are common symbols in many cultures and frequently make an appearance in dreams. Um, a dream of a hawk is an indication that you are engaged with people who oppose you in some way, but you are winning the struggle of being able to perceive the situation more clearly than they are. A hawk dream could also suggest that you are prov- providing enough for yourself by skillfully acquiring what you need. A dream hawk suggests that someone you know could cheat you in some way. If you shoot a hawk in your dream, which do not do that, it means you'll be successful after a period of struggle. The appearance of a dream hawk may suggest that you are surrounded by enemies who want to take advantage of any mistakes you might make. So there you go. Interesting. Uh, Dreamingandsleeping.com also has a... uh, 
there's quite a few actually articles about what it means if you have a dream about a hawk. So if you're having dreams about hawks, look it up. Look it up. Google it. Yeah. Be your own producer. Dreams about hawks are very common and they can have different meanings. Yeah, they, 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 this is they're saying the same thing basically. If you see it, if you if you've seen a hawk in your dream, it usually means that you have a lot of enemies in your life. There may be people who want to fight against you, but don't worry because they will lose. <gasps> Thanks to your hawk spirit guide, you're able to see things more clearly than other people. Someone may deceive you. If you had a dream about the hawk flying in the clear sky, it is a good sign. If you had a dream that the hawk was flying with other birds in the sky, it means you may be too anxious. If you shot the hawk in the dreams, it means you will be the winner in a certain situation. SMH. What do you think it means if you see Ethan Hawk in your dream? Oh, man. I guess it depends on the role, doesn't it? That's true. I think it just means we've been watching too many Ethan Hawk movies. Have you had any dreams about him? Mm, I don't know. I don't really dream a lot. Oh. You should try lucid dreaming. No, thank you. Maybe you're dreaming right now. Hmm. I don't like that. <sighs> I don't want to be dreaming right now. Okay, because then you have to wait. You have to wake up and actually record this episode. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, that's all I got. Yeah, I don't know if I've actually dreamed about podcasting before. I've definitely dreamed about work before. My my daytime mm-hmm. situation. Well, cool fact, Jonathan. Thank you for sharing. Yeah, sure. What else should we talk about? I don't know. How long have we been talking? Only an hour twelve. Well, that's plenty. Let's wrap it up. Let's wrap it up. Okay. Yeah. That's right. Um. So. Well, let's. Do you have any parting thoughts on this movie? Parting thoughts on this movie. It just looks so darn good. Mm. It's so interesting. Like, it's a little. It's like intense. What are you doing? Nothing. Trying to eat the microphone? No. Trying to breathe on the microphone? When I put my headphones on and listen to this recording back, am I going to hear your breath sounds? (sighs) Rude. Um, Parting thoughts? Yeah, it looks cool. Like, it's kind of incomplete, but intentionally in, like, a really good-looking way. Mm -hmm. I like it. Oh! I asked people for questions. Hold on, let me check. Jorge asked, what the fuck is this? Well, Jorge, listen to the fucking episode. Um, you asked, what's happening? I don't know. Listen to the episode. <laughs> um, Kelsey, friend and uh, designer of our promotional material, Kelsey Dodge Taylor, asked, OMG, Ethan Hawke is in Waking Life? So I had to follow up on that one. I messaged her. I said, he is in Waking Life. Are you a fan? And she says, I do like that movie, but I haven't seen it since I was like in junior high or whenever it came out, LOL. And before I knew who Ethan Hawke was, LOL. And then I said, wild. So that's that on that. Should I try to call her? Up to you, I guess. I'll do it. Let's see if she answers. She's in LA right now. She should just be here. Wow. Bitch. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I didn't say anything disparaging. Uh, she went to Tom's one hour film today. Oh. Of Spacey Casey fame. Yeah. 
And our friend Tim Chan wrote that article about that. I know. Yeah. Okay, so we have Kelsey here. Kelsey is a friend of the show and uh, the designer of our promotional material. Um, So, yeah, uh, Kelsey, say hi. Hello. This is literally a dream come true. I've always wanted to be on uh, Hawkeye's podcast. I thought my time may come when it comes to that time travel uh, movie, but, you know. Oh, this predestination. Well, we'd love. We'll we'll call. We'll uh, call you again. Yes, I love that movie. Yeah. Well, you guys. And now we can talk about how it like uh, loops into. Kyle, what's that German show on Netflix? Oh. Uh, the German show on Netflix, Dark. Oh, Dark. I haven't watched that yet, but I want oh, to. Oh my god, you have to watch it. Okay. Well, I'll watch it before we get to predestination on the show. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, and then we'll definitely, we'll remember, we'll call you and Kyle when it's time for predestination because you guys were the one that, (laughs) yeah, you guys showed me that movie before I had never heard of it. And then you guys were like, you have to watch this crazy time travel movie. Yeah, it's so so crazy, mind blowing. You'll never know how it ends. Yeah, it's, it's a wild (laughs) ride for sure. Uh Uh-huh. So, yeah, so Waking Life, I posted about Waking Life and asked people for questions, and you said, OMG, Ethan Hawke was in Waking Life. And so, yeah, yeah I was true. just wondering, what was your experience with Waking Life, your thoughts, your feelings that you could recall? Well, yeah, I guess the first time I watched it, I'm not sure how long it had been out, but we just... Uh, deducted basically that I was probably in second or third grade when it originally came out so I probably didn't watch it until at least I was in third or fourth grade at least but I remember being pretty young and watching it with my mom and she was like oh I heard about this really cool new movie it's supposed to like have really cool animation and like I was just like oh cool animated movie and I was like watching it with her and I just remember being like, like, wow, this is not the movie I was expecting. And um, I definitely didn't notice Ethan Hawke because I wasn't really aware of his, like, you know, existence as a actor, really. Uh-huh. So, um, if anything, now I really want to go back and watch it again because, like, oddly enough, that's one of those, like, I, you know me, I don't really remember anything about movies or, like, remember movies at all, but that's one of those movies that actually I kind of remember watching and like remember liking yeah so the animation definitely want to go back and revisit yeah totally the uh, animation style is really specific in this movie so i could see how that might yeah. stick with you it stood out it, to me and yeah it stuck with me totally cool i remember being like oh my god what is life that's i mean yeah that's pretty much the the idea yeah, it's like are we all in a dream type of thing you know yeah yeah, and that's pretty. That's the the thesis of the movie, I think. Yep, there we have it, folks. Yeah. If you haven't watched it, now you have. Now you have. That's it. You don't have to watch <laughs> it. You just had to listen to this podcast and know all about it. Rewatch it for Ethan Hawke. Yes, definitely. <laughs> Alrighty, well, um, thank you for calling. No I, Anytime. I appreciate your <laughs> contributions to uh the show both on the podcast yeah, I'm here and... for you. I gave you that five-star review. Mm-hmm. Uh, I appreciate it. Of course. Okay. Well, okay. bye, Mom. I love you. <laughs> okay. Love you too, daughter. Oh, I hung out with your other mom today. Oh, I she saw. Hi. You guys did the she swans. She didn't really say hi, but I mean, I'm sure she says hi. Uh, I, I responded to her Instagram story, and she sent me a, a smiley emoji. 
Oh yeah, you should get the Hawkeyes pod to go out to that Tom's one hour photo. Oh yeah, I hadn't been. I haven't, we haven't been to there yet, so we could do that and then post on the on the gram when this, really when this episode comes out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we should okay. do that. Alrighty. Okay. Have a good night. Okay. Bye. <laughs> have a have a nice LA trip. Oh, thank you. Bye bye. Bye bye. So yeah. What were we talking about? We're wrapping it up. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, my name is Harper, and you can find me on Instagram and, I suppose, Twitter at Harping About. And something I've been enjoying outside of uh, Ethan Hawke lately in the media is. I'm going to say Mega the Podcast. I have been working my way through it because I'm I'm late to the game. This podcast started, uh, I think, over a year ago. Definitely over a year ago. And so I started at the very beginning and I've been working my way through it. I just, uh, a little while ago, passed Christmas of 2018. So I'm into 2019 now. But I am not caught up, and I am still really loving it. The last episode I watched was with Scott Asdit from 30 Rock Mm -hmm. and Big Hero 6, uh, which is where Jorge might know him from. And I really enjoyed it, and it's just still strong. It's still strong, and yeah. I mean, I do do miss Ross Kimball because I think he was really fun at the beginning of the show. But it's um, just so fun to listen to, hear about the goings-on of Twin Hills Church Mm -hmm. in Indiana. So that's what I got. Mega, what about you, Jonathan? Where can the people find you? What are you enjoying? You can find me on Instagram at John Zavaleta, J-O-N-Z-A-V-A-L-I misspelled it. (laughs) (laughs) I got got it. It's your own name. J-O-N. Z-A-V-A-L-E-T-A. And thing I've been enjoying, uh, I'm going to say my old pal, Mayor Hawthorne. Nice. The sultry tunes of... And... What does he say? She's got to get out the valley. Oh, she's got to get out the valley. She's going to make it in Cali. She's gonna make it in Cali. Was he doing like home concerts for people for a while? Did I imagine that? He was delivering food. Oh yeah, yeah. He was yeah. like it de- was like Uber Eats or whatever. He was delivering food to people around LA. Uh huh. <laughs> That's insane. <laughs> yeah, That's I feel like I have to. Like I feel like the odds of me not meeting him are slimmer than the odds of me. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Maybe. probably. I, don't know. I feel like I just have to see him. Just at some try, point. just try. Just like I have to run into him at some point, you know. Mm-hmm. I know he lives in LA. I just don't know where. But anyway, yeah, I'm sure I'll see him at like Vons or whatever. The Vons on. I doubt it. If he's talking about the valley. Well, she's getting out the valley. I know, but still, she's getting out the valley to go live in Los Feliz or something, wherever Mayor Hawthorne lives. You know he lives in yeah, Los Feliz. Yeah, probably. Yeah. 
I mean, I, I'm not saying that you should go to Los Feliz to try to find him. I'm just saying that, like, it feels spiritually correct that he would live there. Sure. Yeah. All right. Well, that's it. Yep. Uh, Spin Hot Guys, you can find us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Tumblr at Pod. And you can email us. As always, you know, we love to hear from you. We love to hear from you. If you email us something, we will talk about it on the show at hawkeyespod at gmail.com. And, uh, you know, you know, you can just rate and review on iTunes. Uh, <laughs> iTunes doesn't exist. I'm sorry. Apple Podcasts. For whatever reason, even though 53% of you are listening on Spotify, for whatever reason, Apple Podcasts is the industry standard. So we need those rates and we need those reviews on the Apple Podcast. So if you could just hop on there, do a little bloop. a little ratey, a little bloop, reviewy, bloop, bloop, bloop. and help us out. Yeah, do you hear that? Do you hear that? That's the sound of rating and reviewing. Ba-ching. Ba-ching. So yeah, if you could do that, that would be a huge help to us in getting the word out. And yeah, um, that's all I got. Thanks, y'all. See you next week. Where we're talking about another Richard Linklater movie. Tape. This episode was produced by Harper Thompson and myself, Jonathan Zavaleta. It was edited by Harper Thompson, and our intro music, Hawk Song, is written and recorded by Connor Vance.